Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for new songs and songs with new lyrics that we can look at and think about. And thank you, Father, that here we are in 2019, our second Sunday of the year, and we're still looking to you. Father, no doubt we are uh, this far along by your grace and your mercy. We would not have come so far were it not for you. Father, we pray now as we look to your word that you would be doing something through it, God. Uh, We need you. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so here we are. We ask, Lord, that you would help us now. Teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to the Minor Prophets, to the book of Habakkuk. We were in the Minor Prophets at the end of 2018. We took a break right there during the holidays, but we are uh, past all of that. And so we want to look at Habakkuk. If you don't know where that is... Uh, It's in the Minor Prophets at the end of the Old Testament. If you could find Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, and go backwards just a little bit, you would find Habakkuk, H-A-B-A-K-K-U-K. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's the Black Pew Bible there right in front of you. You can use that, and it's page 862. Uh, We are now back to the Minor Prophets, and today is Habakkuk, and we are going to spend uh, a few weeks here. This is a really, really good one. And um, if, if you're one of those people that makes it to church about every other week, because there are quite a few of those, I would encourage you to try to be here every week, because Habakkuk is going to be really good. You're going to learn a lot. It's a very, very interesting book. Let me recall just a few things. A prophet is somebody who gets a word from God and then tells it to the people. That's what a prophet does. In, in, in comparing, a priest does the opposite. Somebody goes and talks to the priest, and the priest takes that confession, typically, that confession of sin, and goes and tells it to God on the people's behalf, which you know now, we do not need a priest. Jesus is our high priest. And because Jesus has brought us to God, the Bible teaches the priesthood of all believers. If anybody is a child of God, a follower of Christ, they in themselves are a priest. You can go directly to God through Christ. Because of Christ, you don't need somebody else to pray to God on your behalf. You don't need a priest. So a priest takes your prayers or your confessions and tells them to God on your behalf. And the reason why is because what the thinking is there is that we're too sinful to go to God, which is true. Christ has opened that that way up. Christ has broken down the dividing wall between us and God. If you are a believer in Christ, you can go through him to God. If you bow your head now, if you bow your heart right now and you say, Father in heaven, God will hear your prayer through Christ. You don't need a priest. So that's what a priest is. A prophet is, in contrast, the opposite of that. Remember, a prophet gets a word from God and goes and tells it to the people. And the Old Testament is full of prophets. You have major prophets, and they're just called major, not because they're more important, but because their books are a lot longer, their message is a lot bigger. And then there are lots of minor prophets there at the end of the Old Testament, and they're not less important. Their books are just very short, and Habakkuk is a minor prophet. And in most of the prophets, God is telling his man, go tell my people this. But Habakkuk's a little bit different. It even says that Habakkuk gets a vision, or he sees this. God doesn't necessarily 
tell it to him with voice and says, go tell it there, Habakkuk sees it. And you and I, in turn, get to observe what Habakkuk is learning, and that's the way he ends up being a prophet. As we see the prophet dealing with the message he's getting from God, it becomes then a message to God's people. A little bit different. Nonetheless, still a prophet. But it's a good one. It's very applicable for us today because it's dealing with injustice. Habakkuk thinks things aren't the way they should be. Habakkuk thinks there are things going on that are not right. Habakkuk observes, listen to me, that life's not very fair. And so, being a man of God, he takes that complaint to God. And boy, do we have an episode to observe when we start complaining to God. That's what Habakkuk is. Because of the injustice, because of how much things are going wrong or not the way they should be or how unfair things are, Habakkuk's bothered by that. And I appreciate that. I hope that you too are bothered by injustice. I hope that when you see things in the world that are not right, it bothers you. I hope that when you see things in our community that are not right, it bothers you. I hope that things in your home, in your family, in your, in your, in your relatives, in your children that are not right, it bothers you. And above all of those, I hope all that is not right about you bothers you. Habakkuk is that way. The Puritans called this a holy discontent. They were discontented in a good way, in a godly way, in a holy way. They were bothered rightly. Habakkuk's that way. So he takes his complaint to God. It's a short book. It's only three chapters, as you can see, and there are really two big complaints. Let's walk through it real quick. I'll show you, and then I'm going to come back today, and we're just going to look at the first 11 verses. In chapter 1, at the beginning, Habakkuk complains to God. Then he gets an answer from God. At chapter 1, verse 12, Habakkuk complains again. Then he gets another answer from God. Then Habakkuk wrestles with that a little bit, and he's processing some of it. Some of it he's taken back by. Some of it he doesn't like. Some of it he um, seems to think that God still is not right in what he's doing And then the book ends with chapter 3 with this prayer from Habakkuk. And so that's why I said I really hope that you'll you'll hold on and make sure you're back next week and make sure you're back the next week because by the time we get to chapter 3, we're not getting there today, by the time we get to chapter 3, you are going to have your eyes opened. Habakkuk's good, but we got to get there. So start with me today at chapter 1. The oracle... That Habakkuk the prophet saw. So see, that's unique already. He's seeing it instead of hearing it from God. It is a message, but he's seeing it. Verse 2, here's his complaint. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? 
Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. I got two points today. The first is our complaints. Our complaints. Here we are in the Minor Prophets with Habakkuk. He is God's man and God is going to send this message to all of his people. And even here, he is sending this message to us. And even Habakkuk is a complainer. Now, I think you know, you should know, that the New Testament teaches us in Philippians chapter 2, among other places, that we are to do all things without complaining. Philippians 2.14. Complaining is bad. Complaining is wrong. But, as you know, it's the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. And so, sometimes it is necessary or appropriate, or sometimes the one who can raise the issue can get some attention to it. And Habakkuk feels like this is a legitimate complaint because it is injustice. Nevertheless, he is complaining. And so, beginning off, I want to lump his complaints in with our complaints. He begins by asking God, God, how long do I have to cry out to you before you're going to actually help me? Have you ever complained like that? God, why are you making me wait so long? I've talked to 25-year-olds that are mad at God because they're not married yet because they had to wait so long. I said, you haven't even waited long. I said, you're complaining to God about how long you're waiting to get married. That's not very long. We complain to God that his timing is not our timing. Habakkuk's saying, how long, God? I'm asking you for help, and you act like you don't hear my cry for help. You act like your timing's different from my timing, God, and that's bothering me. How long, God? Have you ever prayed like that? How long until I'll feel better? How long until that will go away? How long until something will actually work out good for me for once? We've all prayed that one. How long, God? That's what Habakkuk's prayer. He even says that God's not even hearing me. Which you know that's not true. God, being all-knowing as he is and all-powerful as he is, and God in the way that God is able to, being everywhere in the way that he is, in the sense that he sees everything, that nothing is hidden from his sight, God certainly knows of every prayer that goes up to him. I only have two ears, and I hear quite a bit of things. God has unlimited ears to which he hears all of the prayers that come to him by faith in the name of Jesus. And Habakkuk dares complains, dares complaining here with how long and you're not even hearing me. He goes on and says, I cry to you violence and you won't save. You're not helping us now in our bad situation, he cries out. 
Verse 3, he finally asks, why? Verse 2 says, how long? Verse 3 says, why? It says it twice. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Now he's telling God that God's being wrong to him by making him see these things. But then he's saying God is doing wrong because he's looking at it and not doing anything about it. You ever said that to somebody in your house? Well, you're not doing anything about it. Why don't you do something about it? Habakkuk is saying this to God. He's complaining to God. And we do that too. Why do we? Why do you and I complain to God? Because deep inside of us, deep inside every one of us, is some unbelief. is some pride and arrogance that says, me. A complaint, listen to me, at its very core, is a type of idolatry. Complaining is, God, you're not doing as well as you could. A complaint is, God, you're not doing as well as I could. Right? If it rains on a day that you don't want it to rain, and you say, God, why is it raining today? you all of a sudden have become wiser on when it should rain and when it should not rain. If your health is not where you want your health to be and you say, God, why would you make me go through this? Your plan for your life has now become better or wiser for you than what God would have it to be, and that is idolatry. May we right now all humbly admit that God knows better than us about everything. God knows better than us about us. God knows better for me than me. God knows better for you than you. Would you believe that? Is he really God? Is he really good? Is he really complete and whole and thorough? And will you trust him at that? And would you allow your complaints to not say so much about God, but by the grace of God, say so much about you? Would you here today learn and take a step? Listen to me. Would today be a step in your faith of realizing that the reason why we complain is because of our idolizing hearts that think we know better than God. In Isaiah the prophet's message in verse, chapter 55 verse 8, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There are so many things that God is doing and so many purposes that God has that you and I don't know. There are so many things that you and I think are not the best move of God that is a brilliant move of God. And some of these are real small trivial things like you running late or getting stuck behind a train or it raining on the day that you don't want it to. Some things like that that you don't think are such a big deal and you just wish God had done it differently. But sometimes huge things like deaths and diseases, God knows what he's doing. And we, by faith, must believe him. 
We must not complain about him not knowing what he's doing. And Habakkuk comes to him and he is complaining. But here's the thing, and this is what's going to hurt you so much. You and I complain about things that we often think aren't fair. We are almost always complaining about things that are wrong that we should not be complaining about. But here in Habakkuk's case, he's complaining about the people of God are not living for God. It's a legitimate complaint. It is a holy discontent. The people that claim to know God are living worldly, awful, sinful lives. They say they are God's people, but they don't live like it, and that bothers God's man. Amen. It should. You don't catch that when you just read a few verses, but that's his problem. He's not saying, God, why is it raining on us today? Why don't we feel better? Why don't we have more money? Why can't we ever catch a break? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, God, your people don't look like you. You're all the way true. They lie. You're pure. They're immoral. You're humble. They're prideful. You're nice. They're mean. You're loving. They're hateful. That's what he's saying. They do not reflect you, God, and you're just letting it go. So now the world has no witness in it. And the watching world and the outside nations who are supposed to see a light on a hill that shines bright, the glory of God, are actually seeing your people look ugly and horrible and disgraceful. And so now nobody has a good picture of what you're like, God. This is Habakkuk's complaint. And to be honest, that's a good one. We need people. We need people around us in our lives. We need people in our church who will raise up a good complaint. We need somebody who will say, hey, we're caught up on the wrong things. We need to get back to the right thing. Hey, we're super busy, but we never pray. We need to pray more. Hey, when's the last time we baptized somebody? We need to be baptizing people. Hey, where's the discipleship happening, right? Who's the next person to lead a Bible study, right? That's what we should be worried about. And complaining about the wrong things points out that we're not concerned about the right things. But a good complaint about the right things is okay. And this is Habakkuk's complaint. Look what he says. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And so here's what happens. Don't miss this phrase. So the law is paralyzed. Wow. God's word? Paralyzed? It can't do anything? Y'all know what it means to be paralyzed. If you paralyze your leg, your leg doesn't work anymore. Habakkuk is saying God. Your people are so unfaithful that your word is paralyzed. It can't do anything. What a thought. Hey, that's true. I had a deep conversation with somebody this week who has in so many ways just about completely fallen away from Jesus. They don't go to church. They don't read their Bible, but they still talk a big God game. And I finally had to say to them, I said, listen, you're not helping the cause of God. They said, I still point people to Jesus. I said, everybody, and I mean everybody, sees through the empty shallowness of you talking about God, but not really being about God. 
The believers in your life know you're not close to God. And the unbelievers in your life know you're not close to God. Everybody, I mean everybody knows you're not close to God. And so while you're trying to pat yourself on the back saying you're pointing people to Jesus, ain't nobody growing closer to Jesus through that. The law is paralyzed by our unfaithfulness, at least it seems. And Habakkuk's got a good point. Habakkuk's right in what he's observed. He's wrong in thinking God's not involved. And that may be the case with our complaints. He says, justice never goes forth. The law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. So in other words, if if the Bible says that murder is wrong, and the Bible says that you ought to be punished for murder, and that doesn't happen, then it seems like it's okay to murder, right? If the Bible says that lying is wrong, right, you shall not bear false witness. The Bible says it's in the Ten Commandments. And people lie all the time, and hey, nothing happens to them. God doesn't strike them dead. They just go on with it. They lie, and they benefit from it or whatever. Then it seems like it doesn't really matter. Well, worse when God's people are that way. And Habakkuk, being the prophet, is like, This bothers me, God. This bothers me. It's bad. It's ugly. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous, and justice goes forth perverted. It's his complaint. So he's right in that this isn't good. But he's wrong in that he's accusing God of not being involved, not knowing, not caring, not being in the mix. So when you complain, or when you're tempted to complain, or when you're wanting to complain, balance it with, should I even be upset about this? Is this something worth complaining over? Should this even bother me? And then from there, take it to God. Take it to God, not so much with a complaint, but more so with a prayer. God, I know you know. God, I know you care. God, I know you're big. I know you're strong. Help. Lead me. Work in me. Well, in verse 5, God answers. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God shuts down Habakkuk just like that. I'm doing so much more than you realize, Habakkuk. You don't have a clue. The Bible teaches us this through almost every single story you can think of. When God told Noah to build a boat, Noah didn't have a clue. When God told Moses to go talk to Pharaoh, Moses didn't have a clue. When God told Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac, he didn't have a clue, right? We don't understand all that God is doing. You and I do not know, listen to me, you and I do not know what's going to happen to us next year, what this church will be like, who will be here, who won't be here, right? We don't know what all God is up to, but he is up to so many things. It is his world. He has all the power. He is working. And so when Habakkuk says things like, how long? You don't help. You don't hear. You don't say, why do you do this? Why are you there idly? When he's saying these outlandish requests to God, albeit from a good burden, a good bother, albeit from a holy discontent, his concern and complaint to God 
is a bad one. So when he says that, God says, look around and see. Wonder and be astounded. I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now, this rocked my world studying. Because if you take Habakkuk 1.5 by itself, you think, hey, he's up to something good. This is about to be awesome, right? He's about to blow our doors off. And that's the way I've always only ever heard it mentioned. Folks, I have had missionaries send me prayer cards before. You know how you put like a Bible verse on your prayer card? I've had missionaries send me prayer cards before with Habakkuk 1.5 on there, meaning, hey, where we're going, he's about to do something amazing and wonderful. Listen to me. If you study what Habakkuk's doing, and it's also Habakkuk 1.5 is quoted in Acts 13.41. That's why Josh Womble read that passage. What God is saying is he's about to bring judgment on his people in such a crazy way that even the prophet ain't going to believe it. This is not a good verse. This should not be your life verse. Don't get this verse tattooed on you. Don't get this verse on your missionary prayer card. This is a verse where God says, Habakkuk, if you think I haven't noticed, look around. I'm about to bring it on you all. I notice everything. This is not a comforting verse. Look what he says. For behold, verse 6, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, so another people, the Chaldeans are the Babylonians, that, listen to, a bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses, look at this line, are swifter than leopards. They are more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like Sam. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. For they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. God has found a strong dominant, awful, godless people who are so strong and so overbearing and so successful at war called the Chaldeans. And he's bringing them to overtake his people. Why? Because his people have been so bad, wrong, unfaithful. What Habakkuk observed, God had been seeing every little move. Y'all, what Habakkuk thinks he sees in God's faithless people is just a glimpse of how unfaithful we actually are. And so God says, Habakkuk, look around. If you think I'm not doing anything, look around, be astonished, I'm about to. It is a fascinating 
Next week, we'll see Habakkuk answers back. In verse 12, he starts to answer back. And it's kind of like this mixed emotions, like, okay, God, I get that. I know that you're all-powerful. I know that you can do that. I know that you can raise up the Chaldeans, almost use them however you want to, to bring judgment on us. God does that all the time. God uses one nation to judge his own nation. He does that a lot. But Habakkuk seems to say in his second complaint, which we'll see next week, like, okay, that's a little bit overkill. It seems, God, that your solution to the problem is now worse than the problem. The injustice I saw in, in your people is now, to, is now about to be highlighted because you're about to make everything worse. The disobedience and unfaithfulness that I see happening in your people is now about to be expounded or highlighted or twice as much because you're about to bring an evil nation to destroy us. That's right. And so now Habakkuk's got to wrestle with that. Well, what do you and I say to all of that? So my first point is our complaints. My second point and final point is God's concern. What does God want for them, for the Chaldeans, for us? Now the neat thing about that verse being used so wrongly is that if you read that, nobody thinks that God says something awesome is about to happen. So the only way you could take that wrong is if you were taking it just by itself, right? We've taught you so many times, don't pull verses out just by themselves. Please read them in context. Know what it says before it. Know what it says after it. You know what else? If you read Acts 13.41, the passage Josh Womble read, where Paul quotes Habakkuk 1.5, it is Paul preaching the gospel to those people in that synagogue, and he goes through this long history of the Old Testament, and he tells them how the point of it all is that Jesus Christ is crucified on the cross so that you would be forgiven of your sins, and if you would believe in Jesus, God will forgive all of your sins. You, yes you, can be right with God, a child of God. You can be in the family of God. You can be on your way to heaven if you will trust God. You don't have to do anything. You have to trust him with all the trust he gives you, and if you do that, you will be right with God. You know what he says in Acts 13, 41, after he preaches all that I just said? But if you won't, look and be astounded. He's about to do something with you that you would not believe even if you were told. The very notion that God will judge people because they've rejected him has become laughable. People don't actually think he will. People don't actually believe God will. And Habakkuk 1.5 in the Old Testament and Acts 13.41 in the New Testament are both telling us, run to Jesus. Know that God loves you and sent Jesus to die for you and that anybody can escape this judgment if they will trust in Christ. So what is God's concern? That they would trust God. See, Habakkuk's complaint gets to, well, I know you, but I'm kind of wondering, God, if you really have it all under control. And aren't we that way sometimes? I, I know that I believe in God, but I sure think he could do things better sometimes. I really do think things could go a different direction, God, if you would just 
open your eyes and see what I'm trying to tell you, God. If you would open your ears, God, and hear this issue that I'm telling you about and you actually knew about it, you would fix it. Surely you would. God says, I got it under control. God says, trust me. Look over, just to jump ahead so I can make this final point. Look at chapter 2. After Habakkuk's second complaint, God answers back in verse 2. So this is next week's sermon, but I want to show you. The Lord answered me, which is now the second time. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. So he may run who reads it. Hey, run from God or run to God. You decide. Listen to me. Run from God or run to God? You decide. Listen, you should not be running from God. The only people that run from God are those who don't want God. And once he makes it clear you can't run from me, then in your foolishness you run. But he says, come to me. He literally says, come to me. He says to you today, commit yourself to Christ. Ask him to forgive you your sins. Say, I want to be a believer. I want to be a follower. Back to verse 2. So he may run who reads it. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Look at this. If it seems slow, wait for it. That's part of Habakkuk's whole complaint. You're slow, God. I would have done this already. Your timing's not all that right. It will surely come. It will not delay. Now look at verse 4. Here's the key. You've got to know verse 4. If you have a pen, underline verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But look at this. But the righteous will live by his faith. And that half verse, Habakkuk 2.4, is quoted three different times in the New Testament. That is quoted at Romans 1.16 and 17 when Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. See, here's the whole message of Habakkuk. It looks like God's not involved. It looks like he's not caring. It looks like your complaints make sense. God, this is not how I want my life to go. And yet the answer is, will you trust your God? Will you say, even against what I think, God knows best. God's way is the best way. I believe him, and I'll trust him. This is what the whole book of Habakkuk is about. And Habakkuk wrestles with this in chapter 1. He wrestles with this in chapter 2. He's trying to figure out from a holy discontent, from a good spot. Remember, it's not that, hey, life's not been fair to me, God. It's that our people are not reflecting you, God. You're more worthy and holy than this. We're not representing you well, and that's a good thing. And God says, I've noticed. I'm working on it. I'm going to deal with it in my timing. And then he challenges Habakkuk with, the righteous live by faith. In other words, there are not right people. 
There are not righteous people. The only people in God's eyes that are completely righteous are those that are that way because of their faith. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, the righteous died for the unrighteous. And when you believe in him, God takes Jesus' righteousness and puts it on you. So the righteous are not those good people that go to church, not at all. The righteous are those that believe God supremely. The righteous are those who say, he's my father in heaven, he knows. The righteous are those who with Christ will say, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. The righteous say, God, you know best. God Let it be for your glory. God, whatever you want. The righteous believe God. So Habakkuk's complaining, and God answers with an answer that he would not have expected. When we come to our complaints, may we do that reasonably. When we come to our complaints, May we think about what God's concern is in light of our complaints. And may the answer always be for us. I believe. I believe Jesus. He forgives me of my sins. He rose from the grave. I can trust him. I will follow him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of Habakkuk and that the righteous will live by faith. God, thank you for the warning when I am so tempted to complain that often my complaints are idolatry. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that that would not be us, or that in admitting that it is us, you would forgive us. Oh, Lord, help us with that now. In Jesus' name we pray.